Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. We're going to be talking UFC Fortaleza, Kelvin Gastelum versus Vitor Belfort, and my very special guest, the man himself, Mike Biggie Rhodes. Biggie, what's going on, man? Man, I'm good to be here. I'm doing good, man. I'm ready to go. And uh, I'm ready to break down this fight card and uh, get some good predictions and some good insight uh, for those guys who bet and just for those guys who have little wagers with their with their friends at the bars while they're watching the fights. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we're coming off a very good weekend. I know you were on that T-Wood plus money. I mean, how are they going to disrespect the champ like that? The champ was plus 140 in his title defense, Mike. Man, you know what it is? I think um, people just, for some reason, whatever it is, they just don't want to get behind Tyron Woodley. I think too many misconceptions uh, about will he gas, will he do this. You know, I think a lot of people uh, listen to the to the naysayers too much when it comes to Tyron. But go ahead, keep doing it. People like me love free money. So uh, keep making my guys the underdog, and I'll keep making money off you guys. That's right, man. And you know what? It was interesting because, like, it was boring for a lot of people. It wasn't boring for me at all, and I know it wasn't boring for you either because, man, I knew at any moment anything could happen in that fight. And then finally, Tyron got his opening in that fifth round, and, you know, he almost – he did knock him out. I feel like he, he knocked him out, and then he woke him back up with that follow-up. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is the second time. I mean, you look at the first fight – he knocked him out and brought him back to life a couple times. And then, you know, uh, this fight happened again. He's got to just start punching people and letting them fall down and then stop hitting them. <laughs> yeah, the way Wonderboy went down, you know, I got to give Wonderboy credit for getting back up. Because, I mean, the way he went down that second time, like, where both his knees buckled, you know what I'm talking about, Biggie? Like, yeah, I, I, people don't just get back up from that. So, man, the kid's tough. But, uh, you know, T was just a bad matchup for him, man. I feel like he just has his number. I agree. I think too many people, uh, exactly what Tyron has been saying, too many people get uh, frustrated because Wonderboy stand on the outside, but um, he's not really doing a lot. It was kind of like the Holly Holm, Jermaine Durandamy fight where you have someone kind of bouncing around, throwing a couple random shots, and then the other fighter really throwing the shots that can end the fight, you know, and I think people realized and I think the judges saw that, you know, one or two little pitter-pats compared to one really hard or damaging shot um, you know, they took the fight finishing shots, and that's what they, they thought was more effective. I mean, 100%, because, look, if you had to make a highlight reel of that fight, all you would use is the takedown in the third round and the two knockdowns in the fifth. So I think they uh, they picked the winner correct. But, dude, let's get right down to business, because we got Tim Means. He's minus 250, and the comeback on Alex Cowboy Oliveira is plus 210. Now, this is a rematch. These two fought before in uh, December of last year, so literally a few months ago at UFC 207, and Tim Means knocked out Alex Cowboy in the first round. Now, it's officially a no contest because, you know, maybe it was an illegal knee, maybe it wasn't an illegal knee, but bottom line is I learned a lot about the way that these two match up in that first fight because, look, prior to that fight, I said that Alex Cowboy would have a big edge in that clinch because this dude is known for bullying people in that clinch. I mean, he's super strong. He's one of these dudes that... He seems like he probably like injures his spar his sparring partners. You know what I mean? He's one of those dudes. And you saw his fight with Will Brooks. You know, broke his uh, his ribs with a knee, and he's just one of those rough dudes to deal with. But man, I was a hundred percent wrong about Alex Cowboy having an edge in the clinch because 
Tim Means was tossing him around. I mean, Tim Means had a blast double in that fight. Since when does Tim Means, you know, score blast doubles? You know what I mean? So I feel like Tim Means is the stronger guy here. I mean, I saw all I needed to see in that fight. The one area that I thought Cowboy had an advantage, he doesn't have an advantage in that area. Tim Means is actually better than him there. So, you know, I have two units on Tim Means, uh, you know, parlayed with someone earlier. The only reason I didn't do a max bet is because, you know, this is Brazil and let's say a similar situation occurs just like the first fight, chances are he could get DQ'd, and that's a loss right there. So if it was anywhere but Brazil, I'd, I'd, I'd bet the house on it. But for this, I got two units. I think Tim Means is going to finish him again. Yeah, I agree, man. I think Tim Means is, uh, you know, and I wouldn't, have give, I wouldn't have given him the edge in the clinch just because Tim Means is so mean in the clinch. that You know, it, since his return to the UFC, his knees and his elbows have been vicious, man. And uh, uh, I think with his length, you know, Alex Oliveira is actually pretty tall and long as well. Um, but Tim Means is, you know, so long and so tall. It makes it so much easier for him to get off the knees and elbows and, and fight from in there. And um, he's got pretty good takedown defense as well, Tim Means does. And I think that um, Alex tends to get a, a little bit tired later on in fights, and Tim Means just keeps going all day. But like you said, it is Brazil. Uh, that makes me wor- a little bit worried, but I do see Tim Means coming out with the victory here. I think he finishes him uh, late second round, probably a TK off with knee to the body or something like that, and uh, he'll finish him up there. Uh, hopefully no mishaps uh, with, you know, the rules, the new rules are uh, not being used. I'm, I, I was – I think I'm aware of, but yep, yep. not a hundred on that. So you just no, got to be right. careful with, like, yeah, you got to be careful with that uh, grounded opponent scenario um, all the way through, and just uh, be cautious in there. But uh, I definitely see Tim Means coming away with the victory. Kevin Lee, he's minus one fifty-five, and the comeback on Francisco Trinaldo is plus one thirty-five. What do you think, man? I mean. On paper, this is a hell of a match. But, I mean, Francisco Trinaldo, I believe he's on a seven-fight win streak. And uh, Kevin Lee is a badass, too. What are you thinking here, dude? Um, I think this is a redemption fight for Kevin Lee. Um, I think Kevin Lee uh, took uh, Leo Santos lightly, and that's what caused that loss um, a little bit ago here on his fight record. But I think Kevin Lee is a younger faster, more skilled version of Francisco uh, Trinaldo. Um, so I'm thinking that Kevin Lee is going to get the victory here. Um, I just hope he comes in with his head on correct. Uh, he comes in focused and not overlooking Francisco Trinaldo because uh, Trinaldo is a, is, is a beast. You know, he, he fights tough. He beat Ross Pearson. He's beat some top lightweights, man. And, he, and he's actually surprisingly um, – really, really good. Um, it's just not a popularity thing with him. He's just not this big personality, but as a fighter, he's definitely good. He's definitely dangerous. Um, and he's tied for the longest win streak in the, uh, uh, light heavy or lightweight division with Khabib. So, um, you know, or second, I think it is, um, but tough fight, but I'm gonna have to choose Kevin Lee here. I think he gets it done. I think he's the better wrestler think he's the better grappler and i obviously think he has the striking advantage man it's a tough one for me to call dude because uh man this francisco trinaldo guy i keep counting him out and then he keeps winning dude and 
He's a nasty southpaw. I mean, he's dropped plenty of dudes with that left hand. Kevin Lee has to watch out for that left hand for sure. And I think it comes down to Kevin Lee's strategy, man. I mean, if he tries to stand and bang with Trinaldo, I'm not saying he can't have success there. But what I am saying is that he gives Francisco Trinaldo a lot more of a chance to win if he engages him in that kind of fight. Whereas I feel like Kevin Lee could take a safer route and try to wrestle him for three rounds, kind of like he did against uh, Magomed Mustafaev in his last fight. So I definitely think Kevin Lee's going to try to mix in the takedowns. I mean, he has to. And the dude is, uh, I mean, he's uh, he's dynamic, man. I mean, in his UFC debut, he almost choked out Ally Kinta. And, you know, he, he does some uh, real, like, freakish things that, that people don't really talk about, man. Like, he'll throw, like, you know, flying kicks out of nowhere. But when he's disciplined, man, uh, he's a winner, dude. So... You know, is this time for Francisco to finally fall off the cliff? I mean, he's like 39 years old, but he keeps winning. So, I don't know, man. You think Kevin's going to try to wrestle him, or you think he's going to stand and bang with him? No, I think Kevin knows that um, he's he's beyond a lot of guys in the wrestling. And I think he figured that out. And I think he loves to strike, but I also know he loves to win. He loves money more. And so, I think he understands that when he wrestles, He's a way more dynamic and way more scary fighter than when he chooses not to. So I, I figure he'll probably start with the hands, do a lot of you know movement and stuff like that to set it up because Francisco Trinaldo has a pretty decent takedown defense uh, we've seen in fights. So um, I think he's going to have to use his boxing to set it up, but I definitely see him wrestling here. And even if it's just the slow and even tire Francisco Trinaldo because I believe uh, Kevin Lee will have the conditioning and athleticism the edge in those categories against Francisco Trinado. Yeah, 100%. So now it comes down to strategy, and let's see if he goes out there and gets the win. And, dude, we got Juicier Formiga. He's minus 135, and Ray Borg is plus 115. I mean, just on paper, this is such a great matchup. You know for a fact that there's going to be some serious scrambles in this fight, and both these guys are known for taking the back, and they're both experts at it, but I feel like... Juicier is the more seasoned guy. He's more experienced. He's more polished. But with a young guy like Ray Borg, you can't really measure the kind of improvements that they're going to make fight by fight because, I mean, he's literally just a kid. He's like 24 years old. You know what I'm saying? So he's getting better every single fight. Like, you recall his fight with Scoggins, and then you watch his fight with Smolka, and it's two completely different guys. So Borg is evolving. Also, he moved to Greg Jackson, so now he's working with Brandon Gibson on his striking, which is the one area of the game that people said they wanted to see more of from him. And with Juicy A, I mean, it's the same thing it's always been, man. I mean, you know, if you don't have a... If you don't have your fundamentals, you know, tight, this dude's gonna win the decision all fucking day. And... His ability to take the back is truly something to behold. Uh, he's able to keep very high-level wrestlers in the back mount and just ride out the clock and win these decisions. So for that reason, man, I'm not going to take the shot on Ray Borg. I'm rooting for Ray Borg. He's a cool dude. But Juicier is so damn seasoned and polished. And, yeah, I'm going to have to go with uh, Juicier, but uh, I'm rooting for Ray Borg here, dude. Yeah, um, I like the matchup. It's very, very intriguing. It's one of the matchups in the 125 division that um, I've uh, actually looked forward to um, seeing and, and, and watching these guys compete against each other. Yeah, I think you're right, man. Ray Borg, uh, he's either 23 or 24. He's a young, young kid. Um, the scary thing is he doesn't make weight all the time. I hate to bring up the negative, um, you know, negativity with, with, with talking about him, but that's something that has to scare you off a little bit. He's traveling to Brazil. You know, myself, 
who has fought in Brazil and cut weight, uh, you know, while traveling there, it's difficult. So if he's already having trouble here in the States, he might struggle even more. So that could affect his performance, which I think is his edge, his athleticism, his age, his youth is his edge in this matchup. But if he has a bad weight cut, that's going to hinder his athleticism, his conditioning. Um, and I think that uh, will ultimately hurt him if he has a bad weight cut. Um, Drucier Formiga is more of the technical grappler where he takes the back effortlessly. Uh, where Ray Borg kind of jumps to the back a little bit more of the live scrambles. Um, they both have a common opponent in Dustin Ortiz. Um, Dustin Ortiz beat Ray Borg because he was able to um, – nullify him taking the back you know he we knew he was jumping literally jumping to take the back so Dustin was able to stay calm stay compact and shake him off um when Dustin fought Juicier Formiga he ended up in some bad positions uh because Juicier Formiga was a little bit better at taking the back and then he's long what I mean is he's not very tall but he has long legs and so that allows him to body triangle people and control them for complete um rounds so uh definitely a grappler's delight here. Um, Ray Borg should have the edge on the feet with power. Uh, Juicier kind of just throws, but he's not afraid to throw down in the pocket. But I think we're in for a treat. Um, I want and root for uh, Ray Borg, um, but Juicier Formiga is uh, definitely not an easy task, but I would definitely stay away from the plus money on Ray Borg in this fight. Yeah, man, it's just uh, it's a tough proposition just based on the matchup, man. But I hope Ray Borg proves me wrong, man. You know, because it'd be cool to see him get that win. But anyways, dude, Mauricio Shogun Hua, he's minus one forty, and the comeback on Jean Volante is plus one twenty. And uh, you know, it's funny, man. These two are gonna stand and bang until one guy goes down. That's the bottom line because. If you look at Jean Volante, we'll talk about the stand-up in a second here, but he actually has good takedown defense. So I was thinking about it because, you know, Shogun's last two fights went the distance, and in that fight with uh, with Lil Nog, you know, he got rocked early on, and then he was able to mix in his takedowns and, and win the decision like that. So I was thinking, you know, if he gets rocked here, can he mix in his takedowns and, w and win? And, man, Jean Volante's actually got really good takedown defense. You know, I think that work with Chris Weidman's been – been paying off in that sense but the area i don't think his work with chris weidman's been paying off is that the dude is literally a punching bag you know what i'm saying man and i feel like all the wars in the gym you know there's a reason he gets dropped every single fight that chin is straight in the air he hits hard as hell but you know he is kind of a meathead and a guy like shogun can totally capitalize on that, whether it's a big left hook, whether it's an overhand right, whether it's chopping him down with the leg kicks and then mixing in the hands. I feel like Shogun's got this one covered, but the but he, here's the here's the issue. Just like any fighter, any great fighter, or just any fighter in general, you know, father time's a bitch, and Shogun, you know, he doesn't take the shots as well as he used to, and he is kind of you know getting up getting up there in age, but. Man, I still think he's got enough left in the tank to, to beat a guy like Jean Volante, who, I mean, dude, you know, so, some of these times when you're watching these Volante fights, like, you're like, come on, Volante. Like, are you serious? So, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Shogun my knockout here. Yeah, man, I, I, I totally and utterly agree with everything you said. Um, yeah, I just hope that, you know, Shogun isn't at that point where, um, you know, as an older fighter that, um, you know, he's deteriorating. I, I love Shogun. 
Um, I love the way he fights. I love his style. Um, I think with the shoot box style is great for this fight in which he has. Uh, Gian Vellante is there to get leg kicked. He's there for the um, the overhand right and everything like that. And Shogun can wrestle if he wants to. I don't think he has to. But um, Shogun's really good in the clinch with little trips and little dumps. And um, I think almost like the Dan Kelly uh, Rashad Evans fight here, uh, once they engage really close, I think Shogun has an edge with the way um, he punches in close, you know, and, and uses little trips and dumps to get his opponents off balance. Um, you know, these two share a common opponent in Corey Anderson, um, both defeating them. And Gian Vellante has crazy power. You know, that's how he was able to finish Corey. And Shogun was able to win the fight. You know, he dropped him as well with the overhand right and the leg kicks and stuff like that. So I think we're in for a very, very entertaining fight. And I think they are going to stand in front of each other and just bang it out. Um, but I think that uh, Shogun is the more technical striker in those exchanges. And so I think he'll hit first and hit last. And I definitely uh, see Shogun coming away with the victory here, probably a TKO. Over or under one and a half rounds? I would say over. Okay. I think that I think uh, Shogun is going to one and a half rounds. Ooh, I might. I know, I right? Calling, Isn't it tough to yeah, say? Yeah, it's hard to say. I might be calling a push on that. I think it's probably going to be right in there somewhere. Shogun uh, still has a lot of pop, you know, early in the second round. But once it gets towards the third, I think that uh, he starts to slow down a little bit. Um, and at that point, I think they're going to have a pretty high output. So um, at that point, uh, you know, he could hit him with something that puts him down or um, they might end up going to um, a decision. But uh, definitely see Shogun uh, pulling out the victory any way it goes down. Edson Barboza, he's minus 160, and Benil Dariush is plus 140. And I mean, what can we say about Edson Barboza? I mean, I would go as far as saying that he's one of the top five strikers in the lightweight division, maybe maybe in the lightweight division's history, because offensively speaking, I mean, obviously, we don't got to talk about the leg kicks, and, and just the kicks in general. I mean, Barbosa is absolutely nasty, but if we're going to act like he's not defensively vulnerable, then we're fucking lying to ourselves, man, because... You know, there's times when I'll see him, you know, go to work on, like, Gil Melendez, and then Gil will drop him, and I'll be like, oh, my God, Edson. Like, you know, and I'll have, I bet the house on Edson in that fight, you know, because it's easy money when he's fighting a guy like Gil Melendez, but, and he still gets dropped in that fight. Well, here against Benil Dariush, man, I mean, Dariush, he's constantly underrated, but every time he's fought a striker, he's won, you know, against Michael Johnson, even though many consider it to be a controversial decision. What we have to say is that, well, what what did the judges see? What did Benil Dariush do well in that fight? And what he did well in that Michael Johnson fight was his usage of the jab, his leg kick, his knees in the clinch. So he did a couple of things, right? And, I mean, dude, we've seen Edson Barbosa get dropped with a jab before against a Cowboy. Benil Dariush has got a damn good jab. I'm not saying that that's going to happen again, but, I mean, would you be surprised, Biggie? I mean... It, it happened once before, and I mean, Benio's really been getting comfortable with his striking. Obviously, he beat Michael Johnson, who was a very close decision, but uh, he still beat him. And then, and then he goes in there against Vic. He beat Vic in the first round, which one does not simply do. And then he beat Rashid Magomedov 30-27 
in uh, the Mexico City elevation. You know what I'm saying, dude? So he's getting better every single time. And I understand that Edson Barboza is a step up. And there's an athleticism difference here. You know, Edson Barboza is a fast twitch guy. And no doubt there's an athleticism difference. But it's not the same kind of athleticism difference as, say, Edson Barbosa versus Evan Dunham. You know, I don't think it's like that. I think, you know, Benny's not that bad of an athlete, man. So what I'm thinking here is that, look, Benny's a southpaw. We know that an orthodox fighter, it's hard to get off on your leg kicks against a southpaw because, uh, firstly, I mean, you have to go to the inside of the leg and you got to get past his knee or him checking it. And, I mean, you watch a fight like uh, Aldo versus the Korean Zombie and there's a reason that Aldo wasn't getting off on, on his leg kicks in that fight. And he's known for his leg kicks. The reason why is because Korean Zombie checked one of those kicks and broke his foot and turned Aldo into a wrestler. And not saying that, you know, Edson Barbosa is going to break his foot and turn into a wrestler. But what I am saying is that the southpaw stance is going to limit a lot of those leg kicks. So I think that Edson is going to be going to the body a lot and he's going to be going to the head a lot. And I feel like at first, Benil's going to go through some shit, no doubt about it. But I feel like eventually he's going to get to Edson. He's going to find a way to win. And for that reason, I took the underdog price and I took two units on it. And I, I feel like Master Cordero, they're gonna have they're gonna have uh, Benny prepared, you know? Because look, Biggie, you know the deal when you're fighting a guy that is faster than you and more athletic than you. You don't go, you know, punch for punch with him. You don't go speed for speed with him. You try to counter him. You let him come at you, and then you wait for your opening. And I feel like Master Cordero is gonna have Benny ready for that. You know, whether it's the kick returns, you know, whether it's the uh, you know, the check, whatever it is, man. I feel like he's going to come in here prepared, and I'm willing to take my chances uh, for this upset. Yeah, I'm taking Benny as well. Uh, Barboza is one of the most uh, decorated strikers in, in the lightweight division for sure. Um, but you, you hit right on the key of things that I was going to say. Lefty-righty takes away a lot of that, especially the leg kicks. Um, but he is going to go to the body. He is going to go to the high, uh, to the head. Um, just because that's the open side, and if you make a mistake blocking on that side, it can be in the end of the fight right away. Um, you know, a lot of people thought we were crazy as a gym when Eric Koch was scheduled to fight Jose Aldo because, uh, and we were really high on Koch is because he is a lefty, and exactly what you spoke of. It is so hard to damage that leg from the inside against a lefty because they train against righties all the time. And so they're, they're ready to check that kick, and that takes away a lot. Um, Benny's going to close the distance on Edson. He's going to make him box. He's going to make him punch. Edson's not a puncher. His punching is not at the caliber of his kick, his kicking ability. Um, Benil's going to wrestle him. He's going to take him down. He's going to grind him. He's going to clinch him. And I see him uh, breaking Edson Barboza. And I, I, I see him... Um, getting the finish here I, I think he's going to take him down I think he's going to defend a lot of the kicks walk him walk him down um and land the bigger shots and I could I could just see him uh, cut cutting Edson up and, and walking out of Brazil with the victory another thing we got to talk about is that you know in order for Benil to get prepared for a guy like Edson Barbosa you got to be training with the right guys and He's training with uh, Giga Chikadze, the, the glory fighter who's known for putting people down with liver kicks and, uh, you know, he's known for his body kicks. So when you're training with a guy like that, that you, you know how it is with, these re, with the real strikers where, you know, they hit you one time with that kick and they put you down. You know what I'm saying? Whereas you train with a hundred other guys and you can take their kicks. Like, this is one of those guys. 
And that's that's who Betty trades with on a regular basis, whether it's Giga Chikadze or Kelvin Gastelum. Benny's going to be prepared for this fight, and I feel like he's got the right people in the gym. He comes out of the right gym, has the proper coach. And, you know, we, if we're going to talk about his coach, we got to talk about Edson Barbosa's coach too because he has been putting in work with Mark Henry, and we know Mark Henry's a genius with the combinations and also finding openings on the opponents. But based on how the styles match up, I feel like Benny's smart enough to do what it, to do what he has to do to win this fight. And we know Edson can be gotten to, and I feel like he'll be uh, – I feel like Benny's going to take care of him on uh, on Saturday night. So I took the underdog shot. And, dude, the main event, we got Kelvin Gastelum. He's minus 425. And the comeback on Vitor Belfort, or as we like to say in Brazil, Vitor Belfort is plus 340. Man, uh, this is going to be an ass-whooping, dude. You know, I'm not even counting Vitor out or nothing like that. But if you go back and you watch his last few fights, it's pretty damn clear that the dude's just showing up for a paycheck. You know what I mean? And... You know, he'll, he'll throw one little flurry, and it, does, it doesn't even have to, have to land or anything like that. You know, or maybe, maybe a few of the shots do land, but after that one little flurry, he doesn't throw anything else again. And then he gets discouraged, and then, you know, he looks for the door. And I feel like with a pressure fighter like Kelvin Gastel, not only is he a pressure fighter, he's also a southpaw just like Vitor. And, you know, he's going to be slamming the body kicks. Uh, he's going to be backing him up into the fence. And a lot of volume is going to be coming Vitor's way. So, you know, I'm not even worried about, you know, the wheel kicks and this and that because this isn't, you know, this ain't, uh, this ain't you know, TRT Vitor no more. You know what I'm saying, man? This is uh, dad bod Vitor. So, yeah, man, I, I think uh, Kelvin's about to whoop his ass. And I've always been very high on Kelvin. You know, he's one of, one of these guys that I basically bet on every single fight. The dude's a winner. In every single sense of the word, winners win, losers lose. This guy is a long-term winner all day. And uh, on his worst possible day, I say this every episode of the podcast, you know, before his fights. He misses weight by 11 pounds. He's hospitalized. He's sick. And he still went to a split decision with the world champion Tyron Woodley. That's how good this kid is, man. So... I think he's about to put Vitor away, whether it's the first round, the second round, or the third, maybe the fourth or the fifth. I have no idea, but I tend to think it's going to be early, man. Yeah, um, I, I like this fight for Kevin uh, Gasolum, and uh, um, for all the all the same reasons, man. I, I feel like Vitor is on his way out. Um, I think this is going to be one of those performances that everybody's going to be like, damn, you know, we don't want to watch this anymore. No, we don't want to see a, a legend, a legend and a phenom in the sport go down like this anymore. You know, I think people are going to be calling for his retirement after this. Um, he he's always coming out of the gate. He's got that first initial burst where he can just take anybody out in the world. But uh, Kelvin Gastelum has showed his toughness. Um, I don't know if or how skilled Kevin Gastelum is. I mean, if you watch the fight, you know, I know he did take Tyron to a split decision. Uh, I just think he's tough. That, that's one thing that you cannot take away from that kid is he's just mentally tough and he's not afraid to get in there and change it up. I think that's what he did better than um, Uriah Hall when they fought way back um, off the ultimate fighter is Uriah was the more skilled fighter, but Kelvin was the more hungry fighter and he wanted it more and he was the tougher one mentally. And I think that's what's going to allow him to withstand the barrage that we'll put on him because it will come. But I think he'll be able to push through that with his mental toughness and uh, get that W there 
um, in the fight. Um, the only thing that scares me is weight, but this one's at 185, so I don't think you have that concern. So I would definitely uh, load up the money on Kevin Gastelum, uh, no matter if he was a favorite or not. Dude, honestly, I don't even care about the weight because the times that he's missed weight, you know, he's gone out there and won, except for the T-Wood fight, and that was one judge's scorecard away from a win. So to me, you know, he's going to show up. I, I know he's going to show up, so I'm not even worried about that. Now, as far as his skill goes, man, I really feel like the work that he's been putting in with Master Cordero is paying dividends because, I mean, you notice uh, basically, I mean, the volume that, the volume striking style that he's been uh, doing lately. I mean, you saw that fight with Tim Kennedy. I mean, he was really getting behind his jab excellently, and he would set up the uppercuts. And you know the deal, Biggie. If you don't set up that rear uppercut, you know, at that level, or, you know, even at any level, man, you're going to get countered super hard. And the fact that this dude's able to, you know, mask that behind his jab, it shows me that, you know, he's reaching a higher level training at a place like that. And, and it's good to talk about because... You know, certain people excel in a place like that and other people don't. Like, you look at a guy like Jake Ellenberger or a guy like Patrick Cummings and, you know, they started training at Kings MMA and then they'd go and they'd basically get stopped every single fight. And then you look at a guy like Benny Dariush or a guy like Kelvin Gastelum or previously a guy like Rafael Dos Anjos and they're unstoppable, you know, and they're looking better than ever. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely agree with that. And if you look at the three names that you said, Benny, Gaslam, and RDA, um, look look at what they're really good at. They're tough as hell. None of those guys get put down or put away very easily, and that fits with Rafael Cordero's style, the old shoot box. Walk up, throw hands, throw heavy legs, and, 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 and stick, you know what I mean? And that's what they did. They, they're tough enough to stand in the pocket and really let go, you know, and that was that, – on top of being in really good shape, that allows them to beat a lot of guys because that style that he teaches. I mean, you can watch videos him of him kneeing TJ Dillashaw on the body and dropping him. You know, he's notorious for putting fighters down himself. You know, and 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 that kind of training and that mindset with the toughness of those guys that he has. That's just a great combination for those guys. Dude, there's like a video of him dropping the whole gym. Like he he's like dropping like War Doom and Babalu, and then he goes over to Benny. You know what I mean? Like Master Cordero is ridiculous, man. Did he have like uh you know, I'm kinda ignorant about the the past, you know, his past history. Like, did he have like a bunch of Valley Tudo fights or something like that? I'm actually I'm not even sure on that uh, as well. Um to 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 speak, you know, a lot of truth to that, but I, I could see it, man, because he, he has blended his style, um, you know, the shootbox style, for MMA perfectly. You know, he's one of the strike few striking coaches that have actually, you know, immersed themselves in MMA and made their striking work um, for MMA. You know, a lot of striking guys think that they can just come over and teach the same things and it's going to work, um, where that's definitely not the case. Indeed. We were talking about strikers, now we got to talk about grapplers because we got Hani Yaya. He's minus 160, and the comeback on Joe Soto is plus 140. And man, this one has the potential to be super close. And again, just like the Juicy A Formiga versus uh, Ray Borg fight, in its own unique way, this fight will have some great scrambles because, I mean, 
Dude, Haniaya, you know, just like Damian Maya, he's been winning a lot of fights lately. And, you know, he is kind of one-dimensional just like Damian, but he finds a way to get it done, man. He's he's super effective with it. And with Joe Soto, I mean, I, last time I checked, he was a Dave Terrell brown belt. He might be a black belt by this point, but Joe Soto is legit on the mat, too. It's not just Haniaya that's got amazing jiu-jitsu in this fight. I mean, Joe Soto is also, you know, doing EBI and stuff like that, and you got to be invited to do that. You know what I mean? You got to be legit if, if you're doing that EBI. As far as I know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that, Biggie, but I, as far as I heard, you got to be invited to do that EBI. So Definitely an invitational, and Joe Soto is somebody who deserves an invitation to that scene. He's a master of the leg lock, uh, that that's his big uh, thing on the ground is he's, he's dangerous with those leg locks. I think he won his last fight via heel hook um, where he stepped up on short notice and went and took care of that fight. Uh, but he's definitely dealing with a different beast in Ronnie Yaya, who's eight and two quietly in the UFC. Um, you know, all a lot of his, I think the majority of his uh, wins are via stoppages all coming by submission. So if I'm Joe Soto, um, where I clearly have the striking advantage, I would try and keep this fight on my feet as long and as much as possible uh, because if it hits the ground, it becomes kind of a, a, a crapshoot, you know, who, who's going to get there first, who's going to make the mistake. Um, but definitely I think we can be in for a treat and some really exciting high-level scrambles that, you know, the common fan might not um, be intrigued by. But as hardcore fans and for people who actually train in that martial arts, it'll be very exciting. No doubt about it, man. And, you know, I was considering taking the shot on Joe Soto, but, man, I just have the feeling that this is going to be one of those fights where it's super close, like split decision close, and Haniaya, you know, gets the, the Brazil decision, man. You know, if, if I had confidence that Soto could win, you know, a very wide decision, then, you know, I'd, I'd make the bet. But, man, I feel like, you know, even though I like Soto a lot, he's a total badass you know, he has been put in a lot of bad spots before, so I'm not saying he can't survive them, but you know if you're on your back, man, that's going to take uh, minutes away from the clock and the judges uh, count the dude that's on top as winning, even if you're attacking off bottom, you know? So that kind of shit is going to cost him, I feel like. But, man, I really hope that he's able to use his wrestling, keep the fight on the feet, and uh, potentially knock out Hani Aya because Hani, his stand-up, I mean, he, he's down a throw down. You know, he's a tough guy, but... You know, he he doesn't use his footwork or anything like that. He doesn't step into his punches. It's one shot at a time. Like, you know the deal, man. It's basically all to mask the takedown. And, uh, you know, here's my thing, man. Because, look, and when Joe Soto fought Tanaka, Tanaka was able to take him down. But Tanaka has completely different takedowns than Haniaya. Tanaka's like a, you know, a stocky wrestler that does explosive takedowns. Whereas Haniaya does jujitsu takedowns so that's why you know I, I i'm kind of like i really don't know if he's going to be able to get him or not what, what do you think man is he going to take him down um i think he's definitely going to have a hard time you know taking uh joe soto down um he can do it if he gets him up against the cage and he starts using his legs to kind of drag joe soto to the ground but i definitely don't see him um having the same successes Tanaka like you said Tanaka's the same build as those team alpha male guys more power wrestling than anything else uh, I think Joe Soto himself you know being a decorated wrestler um, himself you know wrestling at Iowa Central um, which is a huge um, uh, junior college uh, wrestling powerhouse in Iowa 
you know, he was there when Cain Velasquez wrestled there. John Jones wrestled there. So Joe Soto's no slouch in the wrestling game. Um, I, I I think that he would have to be pushed up against the cage and, you know, maybe dragged down with, with a leg or, or something like that. I don't think Ronnie Ayak has the ability to just out-wrestle Joe Soto. Jeremy Kennedy is minus 110, and Hani Jason is also minus 110. And uh, Jeremy Kennedy, he's the kid that fought uh, that guy that Paul Felder just fought, that Alex Ricci guy, and Kennedy fought him in his UFC debut up a weight class and beat him 30-27, and it was an easy contest for him, man. I mean, he literally did whatever he wanted to do, which was in that fight was striking to, to take down attempts. And then eventually he got him down, wore him out and won an easy 30, 27. But if you watch this kid's regional scene fights, I mean, dude, he's a good athlete. He throws uh, his punches straight down the middle. You know, there's no, there's no, like, there's no weakness. He's one of these kids that started doing MMA. You know, he doesn't come from a wrestling background. He doesn't come from, you know, a karate background. He comes from MMA. Like, he's one of those kids. So he's pretty damn good at everything, man. It's just a matter of getting that experience in because that's where Honey Jason has two edges in this fight. The experience edge and uh, the jujitsu off his back edge because uh, Honey Jason, he's very slick, you know, finding a submission off his back. I got to give him credit for that. He's, he's a guy that you know, he's not going to win decisions. His style does not win decisions at all because he basically waits for that one big moment to get a spectacular finish. And if he doesn't get it, he's going to lose the fight, man. And, dude, I don't know if you saw his fight with Dennis Bermudez, but, you know, that was an ass-whooping, man. And that was just a three-round hard-to-watch ass-whooping. And I feel like... You know, the USADA be like, you know, you saw that, you saw that meme I sent you, man. You know, it's like, it's one of those situations. Yep. So the output is completely waned. I feel like Jeremy Kennedy has the style to overwhelm a guy like Honey Jason. You know, he's going to be mixing in the takedown attempts, mixing in the strikes that are, that are way more technical than, than the one shot at a time that Honey Jason brings to the table. So the one area I'm concerned about is, is Kennedy getting caught, you know, when he, when he's, on top of Jason, if Kennedy catches, if uh, Honey Jason catches him with a triangle or something like that, that's the only thing I'm worried about. But dude, I feel like this is gonna be smooth sailing. So you know, I put Jeremy Kennedy in that parlay with Tim Means, you know, and uh, I know it sounds crazy, but man, I, feel, I I'm trusting him to get this win here. So we'll see what happens. I feel like this kid is the real deal, and he might be the top Canadian prospect to look out for. So we'll see if he uh, lives up to my hype on, on Saturday night, Biggie. Yeah, um, I'm, I definitely watched that fight a lot. Uh, you know, uh, Kennedy's first fight against Alex Ricci. Obviously, I was in the corner for Paul Felder in his last fight. Um, and and uh, we, we studied and seen the things that Ricci did well and didn't do so well. So in that sense, I got to watch Kennedy as well. Uh, it was He was fighting up a weight class and on short notice, I believe. Um, the fight came together pretty short notice for those guys. Uh, he did tend to get a little bit tired at the end, but Honey Jason um, tends to get tired as well at the end. I just saw some holes in Kennedy's takedowns and grinding type of, uh, you know, fighting style. He's not a Darren Elkins. He's not, you know, those guys that uh, a men, you know, uh, with the grind where we know that it's a guaranteed grind out, you know. Uh, Honey Jason will have the opportunities to see submissions, and uh, I think it'll be a close fight because Honey fights off his back. Kennedy um, was laying in the guard of Ricci, not doing a lot of damage. I think that can cost him the fight with it being in Brazil, 
with the new rules, you know, saying that just because you get a takedown doesn't mean you win the round. Um, I definitely can see that one being really, really close, though. Um, I'm not too sure or too confident on either side to really make a pick. So for me, I'm kind of just going to stay away from that fight and just watch it as a fan and hope that it's an exciting matchup. Well, I don't know if it's going to be exciting, but I feel like uh, Jeremy Kennedy is going to get the victory. And that's all I need when I'm putting my money down. So whether it's a, you know, a bullshit split decision, a boring grind fest, or a first-round knockout, I'll take a win by any means necessary. So let's go, Jeremy Kennedy. We got Michelle Prezeris. He's minus 245. The comeback on Josh Berkman is plus 205. And, uh, dude, I've been listening to this podcast called The Secrets uh, to Success Podcast. And you know uh, you know Eric Thomas? I feel like the, the hip-hop preacher, didn't he do some work with uh, Showtime? Yeah, he came up and did work with our whole team, actually. Uh, Duke has Duke, Duke reached out to him, and, uh, you know, they were able to make it happen. And he came up, and it's actually on YouTube. You can look it up. Uh, part of the speech he did for us. Um, is on there and uh, yeah you know you know he also has a relationship with Tyron he's uh, did some stuff with him and um, that footage is in the champ camp series uh, but yeah uh, Michael Thomas has a, or um, ET Eric Thomas has a good relationship with uh, the gym and uh, you know Duke and stuff like that so uh, definitely I've spoken to the team and you know dropped some knowledge and, and good things every now and then for us. Dude I love Eric Thomas and uh, the secrets of success podcast you know so I listen to it all the time, and one thing he said is that, you know, I can't explain it, but winners win and losers lose. And, you know, even though Josh Berkman has all the physical advantages in terms of height and reach against Michelle Prezeris, I feel like Josh Berkman's going to find a way to lose, man. I, and, it, look, if you look at his UFC run, he's like 1-6, and, and, and the one fight he won was where, you know, I'm not discrediting the win, I'm just saying how it was, you know, in that... KJ Nunes didn't want to pull the trigger, you know, and, and then he retired after the fight. So it was one of it was one of those situations, and Berkman got an ugly close decision there. So you know, aside from that, you know, he's lost every other fight, man. So I feel like in this spot, you know, even though he could totally catch a guy like Prezeris who has been caught before. I mean, Gilbert Burns dropped Prezeris. You know what I'm saying, dude? So. The thing is here, I feel like Berkman's going to have his moments. He's going to probably throw a nice flying knee. He might even get one knockdown or do something spectacular, but he's going to find a way to lose. So for that reason, man, I got Prezeris. I feel like he's going to be able to grind him down, with, you know, mix in the takedowns, you know, throw in some uh, big loopy punches, and bottom line is just out-volume him and win that decision. So, yeah, I got Prezeris for, uh, for the victory here, dude. Yeah, I would take Prezeris as well. Josh Berkman's uh, definitely not impressing. I mean, he just lost to a guy that, um, you know, I beat my pro debut who's not very good, um, you know, and it just showed to me that my uh, that Josh Berkman's on his way out. And, uh, you know, with that fight being in Brazil, um, I definitely see him, um, you know, finding a way out of that fight. Um he definitely has all the skill set to still be dangerous to win fights. But um, like you said, winners win, losers lose. Um, and sometimes guys just lose their heart in the sport. And that's where it seems that uh, Josh Berkman is at. Uh, he could prove me wrong, but um, definitely don't see that happening. Sergio Moraes, he's minus 220 and Davi Ramos is plus 180. So 
basically this is jujitsu world champion versus jujitsu world champion so sergio marai sergino we know the deal man he has world-class jujitsu i mean he tapped out neil magny but lately he doesn't use his jujitsu man i mean he's been uh He's been trying to stand and bang with dudes, and luckily for him, he's been winning these fights. But, man, he's been taking ass whoopings in a lot of these fights, and then he comes back and wins in the third round and stuff like that. But you know what? I got to give him credit because in his last fight, you know, against the guy you mentioned earlier, against Zach Otto, yeah. he finally went back to his takedowns. I was happy to see that, man. So here against Davey Ramos, you know, who, who's got the better jujitsu here, man? Because they're both apparently world champions, so... You know, Sergio's definitely got, obviously, the MMA and UFC experience, but Davey could be some some badass that I just don't know about. So, do you know anything about this kid, uh, Davey Ramos? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, Davi, yeah. Davi Ramos is a beast in the in the jiu-jitsu community. Uh, everybody knows about him in there. Uh, myself, being, being a grappler and competing, um, you know, I know about the guy. I've watched videos of him. It's just going to be... Um, the question of has it translated over into MMA? Um, you know, this is a short notice fight. He's actually a lightweight fighting a bigger fighter in Sergio Marias, who is, you know, obviously, like you said, has the UFC um, experience, um, has the grappling in MMA experience. He has more fights. Um, definitely just comes down to it will be a jiu-jitsu uh, kind of fight, though, for sure. I think it's going to end up on the ground. Um, you know, whether it's Davi trying to take it to the ground or Sergio taking it to the ground or just some sloppy striking end up, uh, you know, on the ground as well. Um, should be an intriguing matchup. Um, you know, I just don't know how Davi Ramos' um, jiu-jitsu has translated over into MMA. I haven't seen him fight, um, you know, live. Um, maybe I'll have to check out some video after this, but um, I'll have to go with Sergio Marais being the bigger, more experienced fighter. Uh, you know, where jiu-jitsu might cancel itself out. Um, I could see him having the better striking, um, at least having the reach advantage and stuff like that. I'm with you on that, man. Marion Renault, she's minus 120, and Betch Cohea is plus 100. You got a strong opinion on this one, man? Because for me, I see this one going all three rounds, and, you know, I, I don't, I'm not really sure who I'm favoring here, man. I kind of want to hear your breakdown. You know, I don't. I'm not really going one way or the other super hard on this fight, uh, but I do believe Marion Renault um, is the better striker on the feet, more complete striker on the feet. Um, Betch Cahaya likes to throw down on her feet. Um, I, I see Marion Renault, uh, you know, not putting her away because not a lot of women um, in the sport at this time have a lot of knockout power per se, um, but they definitely have an output that's very high. And so I can see uh, Mario Renew just kind of beating up Betchkaya. Betchkaya just being tough and, you know, lasting all three rounds. But uh, definitely uh, not super confident in that pick one way or another. Yeah, no, I feel you on that, though, because you bring up a very good point about her striking in terms of, you know, she is a volume striker, whereas Betch is one shot at a time. And Betch is down a throw down, man, you know. But uh, with her, it is mostly overhands and left hooks. And Marion Renault does have the straight punches. And it'll be interesting to see what happens if this fight hits the mat as well. So, yeah, I'll go with Marion Renault by decision, but... Uh, who the hell knows, man? Because with Betch's fights, they're kind of hard to call, man. That fight with uh, with Raquel Pennington, man, she, she fought very close 
with Rocky, and Rocky's a, a good fighter. Rocky got the, the decision there, man, but, you know, I felt like it could have gone either way, and then she also fought very close with Jessica Iowa, which makes me think she's going to fight close here, too, and it's in Brazil, so the split decision could totally go Betch Gohea's way, and we have seen Marion Renault be on the wrong side of a controversial split decision in the past when she fought Ashley Evans-Smith, so just keep that in mind, but... Marion Renault should get it done. Keyword should, Biggie. So, dude, I, I think we uh, we covered the card. So, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Mike Biggie Rhodes, what is the fight to watch for UFC Fortaleza? Um, I think the fight to watch for me is going to be the Juicier Formiga um, Ray Borg fight. That just excites me um, all around. Really good matchup, really good fight. Um, we have a guy at the top of the division. Uh, fighting a young up-and-comer, uh, definitely um, either the old Lions going to, you know, move forward and probably end up being um, close to a title shot, or we're going to have Ray Borg jump jump up there in the top and start making some more noise, getting some, some top matchups, but that's definitely the fight to watch. And uh, my fighter to watch is uh, Benil Dariush. I think uh, his stock can either really rise or it could really fall with the win, with with a win or loss here. So that'll be definitely my fighter to watch. My fight to watch is Tim Means versus Alex Cowboy. Look, this fight just happened about three months ago, and it was a very decisive ending, despite the fact that it says no contest, you know, next to the official result. Now they're going to run it back, and, you know, either Tim Means is going to solidify the fact that he is the better fighter, or this could be a redemption story for Alex Cowboy. So for that reason... That is my fight to watch. Now, my fighter to watch, I'm going to agree with you on this one, Biggie, is Benil Dariush. Look, man, one does not simply 30-27 Rashid Magomedov in the Mexican elevation. That's exactly what he did in that fight. Now, I know my boy uh, Rob bets on fights was saying that Rashid fought dumb in that fight, and I completely disagree. I, f I feel like it's credit to Benny. Look, Benny hurt him with a big liver kick early in that fight, and that made Rashid initiate the clinch and then Benny was the stronger guy in the clinch he softened Rashid up with knees to the body and then they both kind of gasped because you know you know how that Mexico City elevation is but they they ended up getting into a you know a dirty sloppy brawl but man Benny got his arm raised against the more technical guy and I feel like he's gonna get his arm raised against the more technical guy here as well so for that reason Benny is your fighter to watch now Biggie I appreciate the time my man we did it we covered the whole card and let the audience know what you got coming up. And anything you want to mention, go ahead, my dude. You know me, man. I'm kind of just, I've been low-key on the fight fight news. Uh, you know, I was stepped up and uh, took a fight uh, for Bellator, or I was supposed to. Um, couldn't make the agreed-upon catch weight in three days. You know, I gave it a really valiant effort. I lost 22 pounds in just over 30 hours. So uh, definitely stepped up, tried to do that. Um, right now I'm just kind of laying back, uh, going to let the body heal from that cut. You know, obviously that's not something you want to do all the time, but, uh, just letting the body heal up, get my metabolism and everything back firing correctly, uh, back to training already. So, uh, you know, right now I'm going to find a jujitsu tournament, um, you know, compete for the first time as a brown belt, um, and hopefully walk away with some gold and, um, you know, look to get something on the books here for an MMA fight. But just follow my social media, man. I like to have a lot of fun on there, interact with people, uh, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. You know, uh, check me out. It's 
Team Rock, Biggie, T-E-A-M-R-O-C-B-I-G-G-I-E. That's Snapchat, uh, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Mike Biggie Rose fan page over on uh, Facebook. And then you can check out my website, BiggieMMA.com. Um, you know, to check me out on my social media, stay in touch and uh, look for a fight announcement hopefully coming soon. Yes, sir. Follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Make sure to hook up the five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Really appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.